This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with graphic designer Kate Bingaman Burt about documenting consumption and debt and about a work habit that actually works. Looking at a blank page of paper is pretty scary. But if you've got this repeatable project set out, you know what you're supposed to do. And I feel like it's a nice gateway into my work day. Here's Debbie Millman. Kate Bingaman Burt is obsessed with consumption. In 2002, this Portland-based designer began documenting her daily purchases. For 28 months, every item she bought was photographed, every receipt archived. The idea was to make consumption more personal, to give consumerism some character, to listen to what our stuff is trying to tell us. By 2006, Kate had started drawing her purchases, one a day, and she has no plans to stop. It has become what Kate calls obsessive consumption, an ongoing project that is now a brand of its own, with a website and even a zine. When she's not working on consumption, Kate teaches graphic design at Portland State University and draws for the likes of Target, Madewell, Newsweek, and Handmade Nation. Kate, welcome to Design Matters. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great, great, great to have you here. So your new book, Obsessive Consumption, What Did You Buy Today?, details the items you purchased on a daily basis. Would you consider yourself to be obsessive-compulsive? I wouldn't really consider myself to be obsessive-compulsive in a clinical sort of way, but I am definitely um, I'm obsessive about making lots of work, and um, I'm obsessive about sharing that work. Why are you so fascinated by personal consumption? I've been working with personal consumption for almost as a subject matter for almost 10 years now, and I've always been interested in why people buy what they buy and what attracts them to to objects and the stories behind the objects. And um, I consider myself more as a, I guess, a designer as a reporter. I like that role a lot. And um, I feel that by kind of investigating my own um, consumption, I'm able to talk to other people about their consumption as well. One of my most favorite jobs that I had when I was growing up was working as a cashier in a supermarket. And I almost felt that what I was doing was wrong because I felt that there was such a such an intrinsic voyeurism to actually watching what people were buying and paying for and touching all of those things. And I was wondering, as I was reading your book and going through all of your marvelous drawings, if you felt that there was something you learned about humanity in the documentation of all of your purchases. I was also a cashier when I was in high school, and I I love that as well. I I, I loved, again, touching all the objects and talking to the people about what they were going. I wasn't one of the annoying cashiers that would talk too long. I felt like I was just about right. (laughs) But I guess as far as what I've noticed... Everybody kind of buys the same things, and that's what I've liked about this project, at least, is that the commonality between all of our purchases, it's its not that I buy, like, all these extraordinary things. I don't, you know. It's its coffee, which 
a lot of people buy. It's it's packs of gum, which a lot of people buy. We all share these experiences, and then hopefully we can talk about those experiences. Because again, it's not just about the objects. It's about the experience and the people behind the objects. I read that one of the motivations for documenting everything that you were buying was because you had gotten into some serious debt. And this was a way of monitoring or watching your own consumption in an effort to be more conscious of it. It's actually, um, I had done several other photo projects before I started doing the personal documentation. And um, of course, after I was done with the 28 months of, of photo documentation, I was in debt. And that was when I started drawing on my credit card statements. Did buying the purchases that you were documenting every day lead up to your being in debt? Was that well, the cause of your being in debt? I was also in, in graduate school, too. And I, it wasn't like I was buying diamond tiaras and fancy cars. It was <laughs> it was lots of art supplies and, and going to rock show. It was so, like, it was a portrait of a stereotypical art student. That's essentially what happened after it was done. But then I also realized, wow, I'm $25,000 in debt. And I have nothing to show for it. Ticket stubs. Yeah, ticket stubs, which are great. I love that type of ephemera. But um, And then I realized how easy it was for people to get into debt. And that's why um, I started drawing my credit card statements and, again, opening up this conversation because I, I would publish them all online, which was really scary for me at first to kind of admit this this failure. I'm I'm pretty type A personality, and I felt like I had really messed up when I found myself $25,000 in debt. And again, like me being in graduate school, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be, I'll, I'll just, I can pay this off when I get to be an assistant professor, which is ridiculous because it's not like that's like a fancy job at all. So <laughs> I, I was just sitting in my office and I felt, I felt like I had really messed up and that um, I couldn't get my APRs lowered. And I was having like my students come to me and telling me they were having problems with credit card consumption. Like, I mean, it's it's you go on any college campus and there's credit card offers anywhere. You go to the airport and they're like, here, have a T-shirt if you sign up for a credit card. And I just felt like that that whole that whole model is so broken. And um I got duped by it. It was just ridiculous. And so the only thing that I felt like I did have control was that I just started drawing my statements. Because again, like I would get these machine generated statements of doom in the mail every month. And no human had touched this. You call and you try to talk to somebody at a credit card company and it's not a real conversation. And I, I just I wanted to draw these statements and I want them to be kind of shaky and, and to look like I was in trouble. Like I will not talk in class, that type of thing. And um, I didn't start drawing because I love to draw, which is that I do love drawing now. But at that point, I had always felt like that was a super weak area of mine. And I, I never really enjoyed it. And um, that's why I started drawing the credit card statements, because it wasn't something that I necessarily really enjoyed. But I started to really enjoy drawing as I was going through that. I'm happy to say I'm done drawing them as of February. February. But that was, yeah, that was, that was a long haul. That wasn't the most fun project, but it wasn't supposed to be fun. So, so you went out of debt. Yeah. Uh, I think it was February 2nd, 2010. It was. Thank you. <laughs> and you also started selling the drawings that yeah. you did. And I understand that Jim Kudal was the first he was. purchaser of one of your drawings. 
And I think when he asked you how much you you wanted to charge for it, you told him the minimum balance yeah, due. Because I like having my work kind of like fall into itself. I like cyclical things. And so you could buy a credit card statement if the minimum balance was $44. And not the balance, but the, the monthly charge. So it's like you could get a piece of art for $44. I liked having that easy access point for anybody who wanted to to purchase a part of what I was doing that they could. And I did that with my daily purchase photograph documentation as well. Like, you know, if you wanted my Mountain Dew from May 23rd, 2002, you could send me 75 cents and I'd send you the documentation. But if you wanted to buy my camera for $500, you could do that too. You've said that Things that people buy help start conversations with other people that buy the same things, that these shared experiences of having the same things are ways in which we connect with each other. Why do you think that is? Everybody wants to connect with people, but it's a really difficult and hard thing to do. Like, I don't really know anybody who enjoys small talk, things like that. But we're all wanting to have these sincere interactions with people. And whenever I was sharing these objects with people, it was a a nice kind of like entry point for a discussion. I like having those easy entry points for larger discussions. I think it, it facilitates ideas and I like that a lot. Kate, you've said that your work is a participatory kind of art. And you've said that pretty much everybody spends money and then feels bad about it. And you've also said that guilt is a major theme in your work. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on why you feel guilty and why people tend to feel bad about spending money. Guilt is definitely, um, along with joy and surprise, guilt is another factor in a lot of the things that I do. And I feel like if I make work about it and if I share it with people and if it starts conversations, maybe I feel less guilty. I don't I don't know. It's my own neurosis, I suppose. But people do feel really bad about buying something that they feel that they don't deserve or that they can't afford. And um, I do. I get emails from people who they use me as their um, like a shopping priest confession or something. Really? Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, it's, it's just it's I, I would do for a while where I'd have a thing on my site where I'd want people to to tell me about their most favorite object that they just recently purchased. And then I would go, okay, what was the worst thing that you've purchased lately and why? And then I would hear, and it was usually like, because it cost too much, I couldn't afford it. I spent my rut check on a pair of boots, you know, I mean, things like that. And then they would like, oh, I, I hid the shopping bag. I threw out the receipt. I pretended like it wasn't new. And just like all these kind of hiding techniques for um, shame, essentially. One of the interesting things about your book is not just the drawing of the actual items that you purchased every day or one item every day. What I also found really interesting about your book was the journey that you took us on through your life. So first as an unmarried woman and then buying your wedding rings and then buying your dog (laughs) and then moving. And so the different items that you use to signify these really big, important, defining moments in your life were also included in the book. So how did you create this arc of understanding through the book? There seems to be a lot of different layers. There also seems to be a lot of recurring themes. Starbucks. Diet Coke. Yeah. There there are a lot of things that you come back to time and time again, almost as markers. Can you talk about how you made the choices to put the things in your book that you did? 
I am I'm kind of a failed English major. I have an English degree, but I'm I'm not a very good writer. That's actually something that I need to work more on. I like being a storyteller, though. I love telling stories. And um, with this project, one one of my favorite kind of unexpected things that happened was the story that kind of unfolded a little bit through these objects. Again, when I first started drawing these items, it wasn't like I sat down and was like, now I'm going to tell a story. I mean, that that wasn't really what I had in mind, but it's what happened. And I, I love it that that happened. But since I do draw one thing a day, I want to I wanna draw the item that I feel is going to tell the best story. And that's kind of how I, I, I make the decision about, you know, well, do I draw another can of Diet Coke or do I do I draw, you know, this this parking ticket that I received because I was I had to park because I was late for class. And I just I try to figure out what's going to tell the, the, the best story and what's going to what's going to move the narrative along. But sometimes I love drawing objects that really are kind of boring. That's some of the most fun things for me to draw. Do you have the same, a particular time every day where you do your drawing? I usually do it either really, really early in the morning or really, really late at night. I kind of encourage anyone to have a repeatable project because I love this way of working in that it's a great Kickstarter for me to approach other projects that are maybe a little bit more nebulous. Because, I mean, looking at a blank page of paper is pretty scary, but if you've got this repeatable project set out, you know what you're supposed to do. And I feel like, okay, I'm starting my daily drawing. I can do that. That's one thing that's off of my to-do list. And now I can move on to something else that's not quite as cut and dry. Like, But it's it's a nice gateway into my work day. I'm really thankful for that. That's another level of this project that is that has really helped me in making other work, too. So you do a drawing every day now. You used to take a photograph every day. Did you have a project before that that was repeatable as well? I did. I did. um, I used to do lots of photo work. One of my very first repeatable projects was when I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I was fascinated with Target. I was just really curious about why people were buying what they were buying. And um, in order to make myself seem less crazy, I went into Target and I had a sound man and I had a, a camera and I would take pictures of people in their carts and then I'd record what it was that they were buying. And I did that for, I think, three months every Thursday afternoon. It must have been incredibly gratifying then when Target came calling asking you to draw for them. I like cyclical things and that was that I couldn't have there's no way that I could have planned that any better. I mean here it was like 10 years later and now I've got stuff in Target for sale. So tell us how that happened. You're sitting at your desk one day the phone rings or well, you get an it was, email. It was through Paquetto in LA who I had done work with before. Target actually called Paquetto, and Paquetto curated from their artists, 10 people, to put together an accessory line. And um, I was so stupid excited. It was really dumb because I did. I thought, I thought, you know, one of my very, very first projects was just going in Target and talking to people and being fascinated with Target. And now I'm going to have stuff in there. And, and also something that was really satisfying was me purchasing the stuff that I had made for Target and then drawing those items. Like, I, I, I'm, oh, again, I'm a geek. I'm a geek. I love that's do- yeah. infinity. I know. That's I know. Beautiful. It's, it's, it's super stupid meta, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. I am a total sucker oh, for that. I think that. that's gorgeous. <laughs> I can imagine you just standing in Target looking at the stuff you made in Target. I was, it, yeah. It's just incredible. It was, it was, congratulations Thank on you. that. It's really nice to see your work in Target. Thank it's you. It's really fantastic. Thank you. So, 
do you really feel worthless and sad if you don't create something new every day? I get a little sick to my stomach. Really? Yeah. Like I, and, but the thing is, is I feel like that's open to interpretation too, because I like feeling like I'm, I'm doing something, doing something that's either pushing forward my work or also creating stuff could be creating a a new syllabi for a class too. I mean, like I, I just, I, I like feeling useful. And again, like I, I, I think that's one of the reasons I like teaching so much too is, is engaging in that way as well. And just being creative in in that environment and that structure. Now your grandmother was a children's book illustrator and your parents have been weavers for 17 years and they're now selling silk tapestry on Etsy. Well, it's actually, they were, the entire time I was growing up, my mom and dad were full-time weavers, which was a really weird thing for me growing up in a town of 600 people. because Because everyone there, that concept was just foreign. Like this was like in the early 80s and their moms and dads, you know, had farms and things. And I'd be like, my mom and dad make weavings. And and so there was just it was just this it was an odd dynamic thing. But what was great about that was I got to travel a bunch and I got to go to art shows during the summer. But my mom is now an elementary school principal and my dad is a computer technician. So they stopped doing the weavings when I was like 17, 18. But my mom still makes things right. a and lot. Doesn't she have her own she store does. on Etsy? She does. Yes, she okay. does. So what kinds of things is she making? She makes um, scarves and she does weavings and pillows. And um, she's great. Like that's, I really owe a lot to um, my family for who I am right now. Like I grew up in an environment where it was expected to make things and it wasn't looked upon as being weird when I was in eighth grade and I wanted to make my own pins like buttons as a business mom was like great let's do it and I would like pedal them around to the two flower shops that we had in town and it was so you were always a bit of an entrepreneur now you grew up in Missouri yes you went to school in Nebraska and now you're living in Portland yeah how has Portland changed or shaped your work Portland is nice in that I am surrounded by people that are super supportive and I feel like Portland has got a it's not a competitive spirit, but more of a collaboration spirit where there's a bunch of creatives that are working. And I know we're competing for jobs, but it's definitely, we really celebrate each other's successes. And I like that a lot. It's definitely the city that I feel like I'm supposed to be in. So Kate, you recently illustrated something called a craftifesto. And it talks about how the power is in your hands. Craft is powerful. Craft is personal. Craft is political. Craft is possible. Why is anything made by hand now something that is so popular and interesting to people? I mean, we live we live in a society now where everything is mass produced. And I like the slowness of creating something with your hands, kind of like slow food and slow making. And um, I feel like with that craft of Festo, too, I like making with meaning. And I feel like this absolutely applies to the way I approach graphic design, too. I want to have strong content behind it. I want to have a strong point of view. And I feel like with whatever whatever it is that you want to create, it makes it so much more significant if there is that underlying meaning behind it, not just making something pretty, but making it have meaning. Yeah, it's really it's really important to me. And that's something that I try to pass along to all of my students, too, where you know, if you're going to make a pattern, does that pattern have a concept behind it? You know, what what is it that you're trying to say? What's your point of view? What is it? Who are you? <laughs> How do the students respond to that? I think they respond pretty well. I do. 
Kate, when I go to your website, I have any number of different avenues that I can take into your work, whether it be the coursework that you do, whether it be your book, whether it be your daily drawings, your photographs. But one area of your website that I found incredibly compelling was the zines area. And it really had been quite a long time since I spent that much time looking at or thinking about zines. And in looking at your work, it seemed almost as if there was a complete rebirth of energy with the idea of what a zine is and what a zine could be just via the work that you're producing. So what what fascinates you about a zine? How many are you still making? Yeah. And, and how do you go about doing these things? The zine culture was one of my first um, gateways into graphic design. And I feel like when I was 16 and 17 and, and looking at them, I'm like, I want to make these. And um, again, that was kind of like, oh, this is graphic design, you know, like one of those light bulb moments. But um, I also I like the accessibility of zines. I like how you can go and you can start a collection very, very um, cheaply. I like the immediacy of creating a zine. I like that you can, again, it's that whole kind of, you you can do it yourself. And it was very important to me when I started this daily drawing project that it not just be a blog because I wanted people to be able to, to hold these objects in their hands. I was talking about objects and I wanted to make objects. I didn't want to draw objects and then only have them accessible online. I'm a big fan of being really accessible online, but also having the offline components to working together. And, and, and I teach a lot of zine workshops. And especially, like, I've, I've gone to different universities into the graphic design programs. And just it's really, really rewarding to have a group of graphic design students just lose themselves in making books and them just getting so excited about it and being like, I'm going to do this again. And I'm going to make copies of it. And I'm going to give it to my friends. I mean, I just, just to see that, that, that passion and that, that excitement for this object. Again, it's, it's storytelling. It's, it's they're, they're sharing what they have to say. And it's actually one thing that I do collect. I collect scenes. And I wanted to be part of that. And so that's why I make a bunch of them. And it's interesting because you're also doing the writing mm-hmm. as well as the design as well as the craft. You, you, it's, it's great for control freaks. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. It really is. Well, I think, Kate, one of the common denominators of your work, whether it be your book or whether it be your drawings or your photographs or your zines, is that you tell stories about our lives And in the process, I think you help us understand the stories of our lives in a very profound and meaningful and very beautiful way. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me on Design Matters. Find out more about Kate Bingaman-Burt. You can visit her website at katebingamanburt.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.